a Dadsnet original podcast. Welcome to season three of the Diffability podcast, brought to you by the Dadsnet and Get Cycling. All kinds of cycles for all kinds of people. Head over to getcycling.org.uk forward slash Diffability to find out more and to book your own demo. I'm Paul and this is Michael. Hello. And we are parents to four children. Our youngest boys are Lawton and Lanson and our eldest twins Levi and Lucas who are diagnosed with autism and epilepsy along with other complex disabilities. And together we are the Atwal Bryce family. In this podcast we'll be taking a look at a range of different conditions that could affect your children and speaking to experts from various organisations to get you the best advice out there. This episode is all about eating disorders. There are countless types of eating disorders and quite often they come alongside or as part of underlying conditions such as autism, but not always. We spoke to Beat to discuss some of the most common or prominent eating disorders and of course, get her top tips for parents raising children facing one of these. Today we are joined by a very special lady, Sandy Barton, who is representing from Beat Eating Disorders. That's right, isn't it, Sandy? That's right, yeah. Beat, we're the UK's um, charity working on eating disorders. And do you want to tell us a little bit more about the, uh, the charity, Sandy? So my name's Sandy Barton. I'm one of the Deputy Director of Services at BEAT. So I oversee our helpline and our lived experience and co-production work and our services volunteering. Um, BEAT is a UK charity, so we work to prevent the suffering caused by eating disorders. We do that in a variety of ways. So we campaign for better understanding about eating disorders, looking at research around prevention and cure and early intervention. Um, We do a lot of training so that um, a wide variety of people, including the medical profession, are able to respond as effectively as possible. We provide a whole range of direct services. So we have a helpline that's open every single day um, for people who are affected by eating disorders, as well as their carers, their loved ones, parents, partners, etc. And we have a range of support programmes directly working in a more structured way, non-clinical support, working very much in partnership with the NHS. Um, so and, and we also do co-production, so really looking at involving the people with lived experience, both with eating disorders and those caring for people with an eating disorder to make sure that services are really um, centering their voices and their needs um, in service development. Yeah. I think that that's really important into what you've just said, because I think out of like a lot of different conditions and disabilities and whatever that we've covered on this podcast, Eating disorders is always kind of seems to be pushed to the side a little bit. It's not spoken about as much. It doesn't seem as high profile as, say, like other conditions. And, and, and it is a really serious issue, isn't it, Sandy? I think if I'm honest, and I speak very honest here, mm-hmm. from my professional point of view, I think eating disorders are not treated the way they should be. I think people underestimate the seriousness to it, mm-hmm. uh, the impact it has on those with the eating disorder, uh, the family around that person, the network around that person, how it affects absolutely everybody who's involved with that person that has the eating disorder. 
And I think more work does need to be done on this. And by talking about it, it's always a step forward and putting it more in the public domain. Would you agree with that, Sandy? Couldn't agree more. I think disproportionately eating disorders are not represented in terms of research. Um, you know, we, we think there's around 1.25 million people in the UK who are, in, are affected by an eating disorder. And you're absolutely right. It's not just the impact on that person, but all of the, the wider family um, and friends that can be impacting that. Um, you, you know, it can have such a significant impact on people's day to day lives. So um, I think there are positive movements in terms of recognition um, of the, the impact that eating disorders uh, can have. But, yeah, there's a lot more, particularly awareness raising. And I suppose particularly in terms of the diversity of eating disorders, you know, I think there's a sort of stereotype of what when we think of eating disorders, people might think of anorexia and they maybe think of young yeah. women. Um, they're not thinking about the kind of whole range of eating disorders Um and the wide variety, for example, this year in our Eating Disorders Awareness Week, we were looking at men and eating disorders and we did some research really about and a lot of men just not recognising that, you know, the image of eating disorders and not really identifying that, that uh, not identifying with it. And so that's a real barrier to access and support. So, yeah, there's a lot more that needs to be done in terms of awareness of what eating disorders are and how they can impact on people. That, that's brilliant that you've been focusing on men as well because it, it is like what you've just said. It's always you think of the famous people, Princess Diana with bulimia, and you think of the high-profile ones, don't you? And they always do seem to be women and ladies. Um, so I think it's really important that it covers everything. I always remember what Paul said um, from years ago. So he were an ex-performer, mm-hmm. and they used to some of the choreographers would tell the performers to smoke to, so they wouldn't eat as much and, and start up cigarettes and things like that. And I do think... It's still going on, isn't it, stuff like that in the entertainment industry. I was watching um, something about The Wizard of Oz the other day and what they did to, um, what's called the famous actress. Julie Yeah, and how um, they put her on medication and told her she had to be skinnier and stuff like that and the pressures. Um, obviously, nowadays, it's different. It's a lot of it's social media, people seeing people really thin or whatever on social media, and some of that, the images are cropped and edited. And that, That's what I was going to say. It's a whole um, pressure on children, isn't it, yeah. It, for people with eating disorders, it must be so bloody hard when we're in a social media world where we have platforms where every photo has got a full edit on it, it's not the real world, nothing on it is real. And when you're struggling or suffering with an eating disorder yourself, I can totally see how it can make the whole situation so worse. Mm -hmm. Because in a social media world where we are wanting to be perfect, look perfect, doesn't matter who, who tells us we are, we look great, we're amazing. If you've got those mental issues within you, you don't hear any of that. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody tells you you really, really look painfully thin now, and if you've got an eating disorder, you might think you don't look thin. You might still think you look fat. Yeah. And all those pressures, and I think social media has got to be such a negative towards all of this. Would you agree, Sandy? Yeah, I mean, we work in collaboration with a number of other international eating disorder organisations, you know, based in Canada and America and Australia. And um, some of the work that we've been trying to do is have conversations with people like TikTok, for example, 
because what can also be unhelpful is some of the algorithms. So where young people, for example, um, you know, look at certain images that then they're like, oh, you're interested in that, we'll give you more, and where some of them can be quite harmful. Um, it also can be, I suppose, a force for good in terms of raising awareness, in terms of people where they do have a platform and they do have influence, being able to raise awareness about some of the challenges. But yeah, it, it can have a very negative um, an unrealistic, I suppose, representation. Um, and I suppose it's important to say whilst that has a negative impact, that eating disorders are also quite complex mental illnesses and it isn't just around yeah. social media. There can be a wide range of reasons why people develop an eating disorder. You know, some of it's genetics, some of it um, can be about sort of beliefs or early traumas and stresses. So there's it's quite multifaceted in terms of... Um, what the causes are, but yes, yeah, social media can have a kind of have a negative impact as as well as the potential for a positive one. Yeah, and I think the thing what you mentioned with the algorithms that is really like important that that needs to change because something simple like I've watched some you know pimple popping ones and stuff, mm. and then suddenly you're bombarded with yeah. these like same ones. So if you're watching ones about people being really thin or whatever and and it all comes up but there's the opposite side as well in the sandy you'd cover like the overeating as well wouldn't you and people struggling that side as well it's a whole like vast spectrum isn't it yeah so binge eating disorder where people might um i suppose like we said that the stereotypes of maybe um people's image when they think about eating disorders is somebody maybe with anorexia so somebody maybe significantly underweight that yeah. Like visually you might notice whereas actually binge eating disorder is the most common eating disorder and somebody might be within the normal um sort of or you know weight sort of spectrum not visually noticeable but i suppose it's how their relationship with food and how that is an, as a negative thing so where maybe they have a pattern um of binging and then maybe purging or feeling making them feel really bad about themselves and also maybe sometimes quite hidden and secretive so there can be that sense of isolation and sense of shame and particularly where that's yeah. coupled with sort of judgments um around their behavior um or feeling that they're not able to talk to anybody about it or, or um maybe even not even understanding what's going on a lot of the contacts that we get to the helpline are from people who are saying I'm, I'm just worried about my eating and start to talk about some of their sort of disordered eating behaviours and that sort of relationship with emotions which is the really sort of key one. And the helpline Sandy you said that is that open all week did you say? It's open every day throughout the day right through you know festive every bank holiday all festive season we've got people can contact us by phone um, through web chat through our social media so sometimes even just on Instagram you know even just one line saying I'm not sure how to start talking about this um, you know will help people yeah. find their voice and find their words and we also have online peer support groups um, which can be anonymous as well. Um, so we've got a range of them on every day as well. And that's for people... And just a little bit more about that. Oh, sorry. Um, I said they're for people sorry. impacted sorry, by an eat eating disorder as well as their carers or or people or their loved ones. So sometimes friends contact us, say, I'm worried about my pal. Um, yeah. You know, our parents are increasingly, we're seeing parents talking, phoning about younger people, you know, children where they're concerned about their behaviour. I think that's yeah, what I was just going to ask about, can parents, yeah, feel yeah. about their children if they're worried about the child? Um, and if, so it's open basically to anybody. 
yeah. Sandy can a child phone in as well yeah. like and yeah it's all personal and yeah it's great yeah. into it yeah yeah that's a brilliant service isn't it that's a, a massive like service to have that running like seven days a week for people to be able to access we also have pod which is our peer support and online development so particularly aimed at carers because often um you know a bit like that analogy when you're on an airplane about you can't um support someone else and really unless you you yourself have access to the support and resources you need so that's a a free online um support which has got sort of training it's got a whole lot of information about eating disorders it's got a place where people can connect with each other because often parents and carers can feel really isolated it's got ask a clinician sessions so um that that's available via our website so that's i think um carers just feeling like they can connect and feeling they're as equipped as possible to be able to support the the often their their child or the person they're caring for but often you know partners or siblings as well so sandy uh, we obviously as a lot of our listeners know we have four children and two sets of twin boys our oldest twins levi and lucas are 17 pre-verbal mm-hmm. uh, severe autism and uh, severe epilepsy and all those other needs, but they're amazing children. Now, eating problems within children that have autism is a big thing, isn't it? Eating difficulties, uh, we know from parent point of view. And this is why I talk about it's not just the person with the eating disorder difficulties, issues, whatever they are, it's the family around them and everybody else around them and how it affects us, mm-hmm. how it affects me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, the we, worry, yeah. the stress, the anxiety. Because we all know our own mindsets are our worst enemies mm-hmm. as well. That's we everything yeah. all the time. It and, does have a big impact on, on the parents, doesn't it? So for us in particular, our boys have undergone being underweight, they're under dietitians and They've got faltering the, weight gain. Yeah, the struggle with textures and mm-hmm. things like a lot of autistic people can do. One was... One of our boys was nearly peg fed because of his weight. Mm-hmm. Luckily, we haven't had to go through that. But this is what I wanted to say: the anxiety mm-hmm. and the, the mental torture yeah. is intense. Yeah, it really, really is. And we seem to get, don't yeah. talk enough about that. We, we get a lot of parents as well at the moment where the autistic child—it's like an avoidance of all foods—and yeah. you know they'll send us images and they are really like skin and bones and it is really worrying into it so there's the whole like vast spectrum like we said before isn't there of it yeah and i think probably arfid where um people um you know often and you're right that kind of that overlap with autism as well the people who have arfid which is avoidant and restrictive food intake disorder where there's that fear around or, or real struggle with textures with sometimes temperatures colors um, consistency and um, sometimes there can be fears around sort of choking or vomiting related to food that can you know and sometimes it can be written off as being picky eaters or maybe that they're you know they're not yeah. really this sort of severity that is really like sort of acknowledged and accepted but you're right that impact on the wider family and all social events or sort of planning to go anywhere I mean food is so much a part of our everyday lives and particularly big events you know weddings festivals you know sort of religious for Christmas or Eid or Ramadan you know that it's a very big part of lots of people's 
well, it's everybody's life, but particularly social. So it can really impact in terms of people's isolation or become something that instead of a joyful thing is then a very stressful thing. So we're, we're definitely seeing on the helpline more contacts from um, parents and carers with young people around ORFID and I think often struggling to access services um, and knowing where to go or even knowing what the language is, knowing how to describe it. Um, so, yeah, that you're, yeah, I hear you about the impact that can have on you and your relationship and your family. And, you know, um, that is a real challenge. Yeah, I think for ourselves, with the boys, when they have been underweight and people say, oh, they look poorly, they look ill and, and all this, and it's a real struggle to feed them sometimes and get stuff in them. Feel like you're trying to like pump fiber drinks in them as much calories as you can, and it is a massive worry, isn't it? And well, I'm like every time we feed them, I'm like, please God, just eat it, just mm-hmm. eat it, just eat it. Yeah. You, you know, as a par- as a parent, I'm like, please eat it, just eat it. And that's that's what you think all the time. Mm-hmm. Or if he'll eat a packet of crisps, it's like, thank God for that. Mm-hmm. Thank God for that. Just keep eating you know, whatever you can to keep your weight up. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's really, really difficult, isn't it? Yeah, I think this is going to be a massive help to a lot of our followers and listeners in the autism community because, like you've just said, it is really misunderstood and they don't know how to describe it. And you feel like you're just on your own sometimes trying to battle it with no real support. Mm-hmm. So you, you'll see the dietitians, and you'll just be given fibre drinks or whatever, but there's no, like that's it you, then you're left to it there's no kind of emotional support no putting you in touch with other people or you know all the support that you guys offer yeah and um, I'll be honest we've never we'd never heard of you and I think it's gonna be a massive help yeah. to, to a lot of our listeners and followers um for this because it, it does it needs more awareness and more people more people need to talk about yeah, it, yeah. but feel that they can talk about it openly without being judged yeah. No matter how minute they might think it is, it, it, let's talk about it. By talking about it, you know, we make it more accepted and for people to understand. Yeah. And people learn just by talking about subjects as well, don't they? Oh, definitely. And that, that sort of peer support, we've got a, a group called Endeavour, which is a support programme with children, for ch- parents of or carers of children between 5 and 15 who've got ARFID. And I think that's one of the key bits of feedback that we've had is just like, oh, finally, speaking to other people who understand what I'm going through because it is so challenging. And often they have really, they've been beating their heads up against a brick wall trying to find or get, gain access to that support. So the, the uptake, um, it was in sort of pilot stage, and now it's in. It's only in some areas at the moment because it's based on where we get, are sort of commissioned by the NHS. But the feedback and the uptake has been very enthusiastic. I think just because parents, like you say, are sometimes at their wits' end about knowing where to go. Um, and I suppose in terms of autism as well, about how people access services and. I suppose having that kind of adjustment and flexibility and adaption so that people recognising that people might need a, a, a different approach in terms of how you're accessing a service or how, what you need to do to maybe make people feel comfortable to be able to engage with that um, eating disorder support as well. We had a conference last year on um, autism and and eating disorders and heard from a lot of people with lived experience about what the challenges were when they were trying to access services and what they really needed in order to feel comfortable in doing that, which is just really powerful 
Yeah, that that that's going to be a massive help, isn't it? Because a lot of our and and personal friends as well that've got autistic. And children, I, th- I think um, it's a massive issue, isn't it? I think professionals need to learn as well, mm. especially professionals within educational settings. Mm. I think, um, from my opinion, I think more needs to be done within schools about this mm. as well. Um, because it can be very easily masked at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, an eating disorder within a school, um, say, for example, if it's a child, they can be very clever at hiding it as well, can't they? Yeah. So we, we used to, pre-pandemic, we would go into schools, but given everything that happened during the pandemic, we developed a um, SPOT, which is a schools training program, which is an online program. And that's aimed very much at doing exactly that. So equipping not just the teachers, but, you know, welfare staff within schools and thinking about the people, you know, in the canteen, you know, the people that work in the kitchens who are maybe more likely to notice, hang on, what's happening with that young person? You know, they're not they're not having their meals or they're avoiding that. and um, so equipping them with being able to identify maybe where there are issues and I suppose start to have conversations not only around the eating but about someone's emotional well-being because we know that there's that very clear connection often. Um, so being able to have, um, because teachers have got all kinds on their plate and, and lots of um, sort of welfare issues, but being able to equip them with the knowledge and the skills to be able to start to have those conversations mm-hmm. and make sure that, I mean, we know that the earlier that people are linked in to health services, the better it is in terms of outcomes. So being able to identify and start to have those conversations with young people and with families so that young people do get access to support as soon as possible. And do you have any more like statistics, um, Sandy, about eating disorders? You know the stats that how many people are like affected, um, how many people are, are like sadly lost to eating disorders and things like that. Yeah, I mean we we know that um, about one point two five million people in the UK have an eating disorder. We don't know exactly how many of them are children and young people, um, but we definitely saw um, an increase in terms of particularly during the pandemic where. Uh, you know, people's usual access to coping strategies, their usual access to services and outlets and sort of peer connections were really negatively impacted and also such a period of sort of stress and uncertainty. Um, we know, our, sort of, like I said, in, in Eating Disorders Awareness Week, we were doing some we are particularly focusing on men because they're very underrepresented in terms of people who are accessing services. So we, we think about one out of four people with an eating disorder are men. Um, we know that there's a yeah a, a wide, like I said, a wide range of different eating disorders, but the majority often of people who are in contact with services might be experiencing anorexia, but we know that binge eating disorder, for example, is the most prevalent eating disorder, um, but maybe under-identified and people maybe not recognising that um, in themselves or, like you say, maybe never heard of us or maybe not sure how to take those first steps um, or have those conversations. One of the things that we have on our website is... um, sort of guidance about having a conversation with your GP, you know, and maybe what to bring and how to start that conversation because sometimes people are just really not sure. They're not sure how to talk about it and they're also not sure maybe what their rights are about what, what they what they can access. So um, there's information on our website too about um, about how to, how to speak to somebody that you care about and how to speak to a GP. And Sunday, what... 
top five tips would you give to somebody who was possibly struggling and were listening to this podcast and thought, right, now I need to do something? Say, you know, from a parent point of view, because a lot of our listeners are parents. Yeah. I suppose the key thing is know that you're not on your own, um, that there is support that's available. Um, it's really important. It can feel very isolating um, and it can feel that, um, you know, people can feel really lost or alone. Um, so know that you're not alone. Um, I suppose to reach out as well um, and, and and keep checking in with your loved ones. Sometimes you're not really sure what's the best way forward, but there's that relationship and um, keeping that relationship open. And so checking in with the person that you're worried about, um, not just only about the food and the behaviour, but focusing on the emotions um, and letting them know that you're there to listen. Um, that can be really, particularly if we're talking about children, young people, that's still very comforting, even if you don't have the answers. Um, you know, for example, saying something like, you know, I've noticed you seem a bit happier this week. You know, has anything helped with that? Um, I suppose um, knowing that recovery is possible, it can sometimes feel that you're wading through mud and you're you're not really sure where you're going, but people can and do recover from an eating disorder. So having that hope, um, that's important that you as a parent and carer um, hold on to that, particularly for the person that you're caring about to know that recovery does um, happen. I suppose modelling a healthy relationship with food. We talked about some of the negative influences that we can see from social media as well. And I suppose just, you know, encouraging that sort of balanced relationship with food can be really helpful for children and young people as they grow up. For example, you know, eating a wide variety of foods, eating meals together as a family, avoiding um, talking about calories. Um, but it's really important for people to remember that nobody is to blame um, for someone having an eating disorder. Um, yeah, and just to, I suppose, to reach out to people about how you're feeling, you know, if you are feeling isolated or upset, um, know, you know, reaching out and to others that you do trust that does feel like a, a safe space. And that includes us at BEAT. You know, the helpline is open for carers and parents as well as people with an eating disorder. So on social media, uh, Sandy, and the website and stuff, how can people find you guys? If they just, we are at beateatingdisorders.org.uk. Um, so if they search for beat eating disorders, they'll find us. We also um, have a, um, a resource called Help Finder. So if people um, look for that as well, that's letting people know about all of the help that's in their area um, around eating disorders. That includes all of the beat services. It includes local NHS as well as other services as well. So if people are looking in their area, um, and on our website, it's got all information about our helpline and our online groups. And that includes an online group for people with ARFID um, that we launched very recently. So that's on every Sunday evening. It's up here. It's facilitated and moderated by someone on the helpline. So, yeah, if people, there's a whole range of information on our website about the different kind of eating disorders. So, yeah, yeah. come find us and, and find out more. I think um, so many are going to get so much use from this chat we've had with you Sunday um, I know just by speaking to you how much I've learned um, you know what it can be like and the help that is available to the people I think especially the ARFID one because we speak to so many parents and even ourselves and it's just like 
people's not heard of it or it's it's almost like it's new but it's been going on for years and nobody knows where to access support for it and to be able to for you to see that that's there on the website and there's them groups and stuff and that help is there that is going to be a massive isn't it a lot of the people that listen to our podcast and we'll share you guys obviously on our social media and we're really going to focus on that i think because that's a lot of our listeners will really benefit from that yeah, that's, that's so amazing. I think you're doing a great job raising that awareness because it is so challenging for parents and carers. And I think to hear um, and have that frank discussion about the challenges, I think it really normalises it for people and just gives them permission to be able to seek that support and have those conversations. So thanks for inviting me and for letting me talk about BEAT because we really want to make sure we're reaching out to the people who need us. We know that some eating disorders can often be associated with other conditions, but there are ways to help get your child out on a bike, whatever their need is. Cycling is a fantastic tool for weight management and Get Cycling provide bikes that can take up to 120 kilos. They also have recumbent cycles, where the seating position is reclined instead of upright like a traditional saddle. And for children who need support when cycling, perhaps due to strength issues as a result of eating disorders. There are also multi-seat cycles where you can ride alongside your child. Whatever condition your children have been diagnosed with, Get Cycling have helped to get them out and about on specialist bikes. Head over to getcycling.org.uk forward slash differability to find out more and to book your own demo. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Diffability. If you have enjoyed this podcast, found it useful, or even just learned something new, please consider leaving us a rating and a review. It helps to get this show out even more where parents really do need that support. And take a look through the back catalogue. There may be more shows in this series that can help you in your journey raising a child with their very own disability.